Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Welcome to the really big show. We're in our usual motley assortment of malcontents, curmudgeons, and pundits from the HHW LOD Network. Talk pop culture, movies, TV, video games, and ever so much more. It's the really big show, or as we refer to it, really BS. And now, let's start the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Really BS, number four, the really big show, as they say. And I'm joined tonight in the giant amount of BS we have to get through uh, by Mr. Jordan from Jersey, Dr. Esquire himself. Hey! Mr. Russell L., Russ L. from Krypton. And returning champion, Johnny M. Hi, John. What's going on, fellas? Lots of BS. That's what's been going on. I like it. And although, um, I mean, John's been holding it down with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. It's been a while since he's been on LOD proper, and we're happy to have you back, John. You know you're a busy guy. Happy to be here. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much. It is think, the, uh, uh, what is this, uh, Gray Sunday? Is there a name for the Sunday between Black Friday and Blue Monday or whatever the hell it is? It's Fuchsia Sunday. Great. <laughs> uh, no, there is a name. I think, isn't it Black Sunday? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. It's It's become Black Weekend. It's kind of funny how the whole thing has evolved, right? Like Black Friday now is kind of like Black After Dinner on Thanksgiving Oh, and you know what? I'm I'm conflating in my head. Yeah, there's that word again. I'm conflating uh, Easter and Thanksgiving. I think that's where you have Black Sunday. Oh, you have Black Friday. No, that's Good Friday. Good Friday, but then it's isn't it Black Sunday? That's Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. Okay, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been to a church, folks. Whatever. But I, I know you mean, John. I went out uh, for Thanksgiving dinner, like to grab a few things that I'd forgotten to to cook. And it was like, I don't know, noon on Thanksgiving. And uh, there were people camped out in front of Best Buy and stuff and in front of Toys R Us. Yeah. Um, I actually had no intention of doing anything like that this year. Of course, in the newspaper on Thanksgiving was a ping pong table at like less than half price that we've kind of been scoping for the kids. Kids, if you're listening to this show, uh, you didn't hear that from me. So anyway, so I'm like, all right, it's and the doors open at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving. And uh, luckily, the sports authority was pretty dead, I must say. But in the same parking lot is a Best Buy. And it looked like, you know, I don't know, Afghanistan or something. There were people everywhere. <laughs> you know, was there a lot was, of sand. Oh, it, there was just like yelling and like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to claim that there were any like parking lot fights or anything like that because I know that stuff happened and people got hurt and stuff. So I don't want to make light of it. But uh, it was it was wild. Like I was glad that I wasn't trying to grab any, you know, three ninety nine Blu-rays or whatever they were pushing. Yeah, I hear the Blu-ray selection at the Sports Authority is less than stellar. Yes, yes. You get Ray-Bans, but that's about it. Ping-pong tables are considerably harder to bring home in secrecy than Blu-rays <laughs> as well. Ping-pong would give you a lot more last, longer-lasting enjoyment, though. I, I used to love playing ping-pong when my dad had a table. Yep, ripped the satellite antenna off my car, loading it out, though. So Did you really? Save 200 on the ping-pong table, now have to pay 350 to repair the satellite. 
Oh, you're oh, kidding me. no. Merry Christmas and f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife went out once um, on Black Friday with her friend. It was to get me something, actually, and this is how long ago it was. It was the um, limited edition Zelda GameCube. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and she had Black Friday, I think they got there like 3 in the morning and there were already like 100 people you know, waiting in line outside the Target or whatever it was. And you know, I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of amazing and weird. You still have and, it? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my desk. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I I know like for uh, console launches too, like people used to, would line up and be intense or whatever around here. Was it like that around you, John, when you got your... Uh, I know because uh, our listeners might not know John is the proud owner of both a PS4 and oh. an X-Bone. Uh, both. Yeah, it was a uh, it was just a magical set of circumstances. Is all I can. Uh, I didn't wait online for anything. I was. I, I guess I'm going to put air quotes up for everyone at home. Smart enough to uh, pre-order these things in like June. And then as the date came closer, I started getting really nervous. Like, I don't really think I can buy both of these. And so then I walk into a GameStop a week before launch. And uh, I'm asking the worker what he's going to get because I'm deciding which one to, like, not pre-order and which one to keep. And uh, he's telling me that it's impossible to get PS4s, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and we still have one Xbox One for day one available for pre-order. So I said, well, give me that. And uh, so I pre-ordered it at GameStop, which allowed me to trade in old hardware at like a 90% extra value. Mm. So I ended up paying 11 bucks for the Xbox One after I traded my 360 and PS3 um, and a bunch of games and crap like that. So anyway, long story short, perfect set of circumstances or it never would have happened. But no, I did not wait on any lines. There was no midnight thing. Um, they came to me, one from Amazon and one uh, the next day after everyone lined up. I walked in and grabbed my pre-order. So no no great stories. Except that friggin' Xbox One is like 18 pounds, and the guy in front of me grabbed the bag by the handle, and the thing ripped through the bag and hit the floor. Oh. I almost crapped oh, myself man. for him. I th- oh, I don't even know the guy, and I feel bad for him. Yeah. I well, mean, luckily, the packaging for the Xbox One is pretty nice, though. The actual box it comes in, I'd imagine it can take a pretty severe beating. Yeah, yeah. It's in, like, styrofoam bumpers inside the box. I'm sure it was fine, but there was kind of like a collective, <gasps> you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, people that are there on launch day, they care about stuff like that, you know? Oh, no, I understand, but I'm just saying, I was, I, I watched some unboxings for it, and I was like, wow, Microsoft took a... Uh, took a big uh, big tick from Apple because it looks like Apple packaging with all the, you know, how it's all folded together and everything. And uh, so un- unlike some other things I've bought in the past that might not have survived a crash to the ground like that, I could see an Xbox One doing it. So do you have your PS4 running through the HDMI in of your Xbox One or do you have it set up somewhat <laughs> differently? Uh, I have them in two completely different places. I My old setup was um, my PS3 was sort of the family Blu-ray player in the living room. And uh, my Xbox was the basement, like, game room area because we had Kinect, and that's where the kids play um, their Kinect games. And I do more of my, like, multiplayer online gaming and stuff on Xbox, so we kept it down in the basement. Uh, You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, I've put 
let's see. I ran my TV through the HDMI in, and my cable box doesn't like it. It uh, it chops up. So then I put my Blu-ray player through it, and I got a black screen completely, nothing. Uh, then I ran my Chromecast through it just to get something to work, you know, to make sure that it wasn't like a, bro- a broken Xbox or whatever. And that worked fine. So it's still buggy. I know a lot of people are running their TV through it and having no problems, but uh, mine doesn't work. And for some reason, it won't find the Samsung Blu-ray player either. It finds it, but I just get a black screen. So I think both of them are going to have some software stuff, and I know that's why a lot of people you know, wait to buy the consoles and everything. So that's not working great. But I did see the videos of people running like Xbox Ones through the Xbox One, and it's just kind of like this alternate dimension of repeating messages and stuff. <laughs> it's an infinite regression of Xbox Ones. Yeah. Yeah, I think the giant bomb guys did something like that with like a screen after a screen after a screen. It was like Inception after a while. Yeah, and I mean a lot of the a lot of the stuff is um like I said, a lot of the stuff is just not ready. Like Xbox One is kind of puffing their chest out that, oh yeah, we have a media server and PlayStation doesn't have a media server and Xbox One's media server doesn't work yet. You can send stuff to it, like from your computer, but it can't grab anything. So in other words, like on the 360, when you pulled up Xbox videos, you could see like all the shared videos on your network from your computer and stuff and just pick one of them. Now you have to have some kind of software that is just pushing the video to the Xbox. The Xbox has no way of grabbing it. And I'm sure that's coming. You know, just interesting how the story kind of gets out and what the perception is. And then, like, what actually works and what doesn't when you, you know, when you have them at home and stuff. Well, if you think about, like, the way the 360, like, the interface and, you know, user interface and everything looked at the beginning and how it looked, you know, even a year or two into the Xbox with the... You know, you know, with patches and, and updates and stuff. I'm sure that stuff is coming. Uh, what about, like, the voice recognition stuff on Xbox One? Did you try any of that stuff? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the, uh, you know, turning it up. It's very customizable. So you can have it only mess with your Xbox, or you can have it, like, shut everything off, you know, your TV and everything uh, when you command it that way. Today, I finally had a use for it you know i didn't know how i was going to use all this stuff or if i would and today i sat down and with call of duty and uh, i was playing through the game and i snapped open the nfl network thing and i had the scores of the games running in the little snap window while i played call of duty um so that was really cool and it's really easy to just you know give the command open up the snap window you know i've heard people running a movie while you're playing a video game that just seems like why would anyone ever do that? Well, I can see if it's some, like, uh, grinding-type deal, like some kind of RPG or uh, maybe a puzzle game where the story doesn't matter or maybe you're just a person who doesn't care about the story and you want to listen to something else. Yeah. You know? or, or I could even see you putting the wa- a walkthrough from YouTube on one uh, screen if you're stuck in a certain part. Like, I started playing this game called Dark Souls, which is, like, punishingly hard. And you really have to look at the facts and the, the videos on YouTube to figure your way through it. So I can see a screen and screen thing being useful there. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess you could, like, if your TV setup is working, I guess you could, like, have the news on while you play, you know, background things, I guess. I guess I could see a uh, some purpose for that. But that, that all runs really well. The Kinect is a thousand times better. I still don't see myself really getting into too many Kinect games. 
But um, like I could tell with the kids, it just works a lot better already. It has a much wider range. You know, it, it's not the first Connect was very strict about like you had to be in that box, you know, to to be seen by the Connect. And now it pretty much follows you all over the room, and it it knows. You know, it just knows who's who by by scanning them or whatever. It's kind of freaky, actually, but, you know, it picks up whose account is who. It knows me and logs me in. It knows my kids and logs them in. You know, it's just, it's amazing, really. It's like almost Stark tech. <laughs> you know, like the Avengers, like I just see, like, you know, holograms are next, moving them around with my hands. Uh-oh. Then you hear that Jarvis voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else can I say? Um you know, it's the PS4 is much more streamlined. Everything that it's supposed to do right now works really well. It just does a lot less. So, like in the long run, when Xbox gets everything worked out, it seems like it's going to be that super media center that controls everything, you know, like they want it to be. PlayStation seems to be focusing on, like, this is what we do. We share, and the share button's awesome. You you press the share button during your game, two seconds, boom. Where do you want to share this? Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, whatever. You pick. You want to share a video clip. You want to uh, share the screenshot. You want to, boom, pick, done, right back into the game. I mean, it's awesome. Again, I'm not really into, like, sharing a screenshot on Twitter. I did it a couple of times to test it out. Uh, you know, but people that are into that and, and putting the videos on Twitch and stuff like that, it's super easy. I don't even know how to share on Xbox. I haven't figured it out yet. So definitely that's something that they've figured out on the Sony side. Um, it's just more organized to me. Xbox sort of looks like Windows 8, you know, like you have those boxes everywhere and you have to pin your apps to your front page. It sort of gets cluttered for me, whereas Sony has that sort of streamlined... You know, one line of apps, and then when you get to movies, it drops down, and there's your Netflix and your Hulu and your whatever. When you go to games, it drops down, and there's the games you've downloaded and et cetera. I don't know. Is what are your thoughts on the new controllers for each system? Uh, they're both fine. They're nothing really – I still like the Xbox one uh, – I still like the Xbox version better. It's just bigger. It fits in my hands better. It's kind of hard to explain. Like, I have pretty big hands, I guess. The PlayStation 1 always seemed too thin, like it was getting lost in my hand. <laughs> Although the the 4 is bigger than the 3 was, right? Yeah, yeah. The, but the the Xbox is still bigger in general. They're both really cool. I like the touchpad on the Xbox. Uh, no, I'm sorry, on the PlayStation. Uh, what's that? Uh, Shadowfall. What's that? Uh, Killzone. Shadowfall has a really cool menu uh, system that works with swiping your hand back and forth or up and down across that little touchpad. That's a cool... Um, you know, addition. Otherwise, they're they're pretty much the same. The Xbox is pretty much everything's in the same places. It just feels a little different. What have you thought about the haptic triggers on the one? I uh, haven't noticed it. Um, you know, to be any different yet. Maybe I haven't played anything where it's really come into play. That's um, true. Yeah, what games do you have for both systems? I have Assassin's Creed. Um and Shadowfall for the PS. I have. Dead I'm assuming Rising... AC4. Yes, yes. Um, I have Dead Rising Three and Call of Duty Ghosts for the Xbox. 
I just I just watched a um a quick look on Dead Rising Three, and that looks like a lot of fun. Uh, especially I saw it was a cross between like a motorcycle and a flamethrower and a steamroller. Yeah. <laughs> that like just like blows up and flattens zombies as you drive by. There was like uh like That's the one in the big trailer, I think, actually. That would look cool. Yeah, it was uh they had all kinds of really fun ways to uh dispose of zombies. It looked pretty cool. Dead Rising Three is freaking amazing. Now I've never I've never played the Dead Rising series. So maybe, you know, you guys might say, oh, it's kind of more of the same, you know, type thing. But from what I hear, they fixed a lot of the things that I had problems with in the first uh, or the second one. I never played the first one. Yeah. I mean, you can save anywhere, that kind of stuff. You don't have to be at a workbench to make stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've read about that, all those problems, too. And, And it's just to me, it's Grand Theft Auto, you know, littered with zombies. I can't even describe if you I was telling this to Russ the other day the amount of zombies they put on one screen without any frame rate problems is mind-boggling to me like <laughs> right right well that's is, why it's 720 right because they i mean they have to be able to support so many individual characters you know what i think everything is 720 right now on xbox i don't think anything's running at 1080 i think it's just like right but this one is like particularly thing. it's like 720 and it's a low frame rate frame rate which usually you get one or the other but I think this one is specifically because just so many characters. Yeah. If you, like, what I like to do is climb on top of a truck so I'm, like, 8, 10 feet in the air in the game so I have, like, a better perspective I can see further, that type of thing. And then, like, you just start, like, jumping up and down on the truck and, like, hitting it with a crowbar, like, making whatever noise that you can just to attract zombies. In five minutes, it looks like friggin' Woodstock. Like, as far as you can see, <laughs> it's just zombies wall to wall, you know, and, and then, you, you know, you can try to jump down and run through it and, you know, you get the controller rumble and stuff and you just feel like that pressure, you know, like that, that resistance, I guess is a good word. It, it's amazing. And the most fun is jumping in one of those uh, combo vehicles, like you said, the uh, the steamroller and the motorcycle combo and just mowing zombies down and watching that kill counter jump like by hundreds in in minutes it's a lot of it's a lot of fun um it's definitely like listen call of duty ghosts looks great plays great it's call of duty i haven't compared it to the 360 version you know i don't know how much better or worse it is but this dead rising is where i went oh this is new console you know just having this much stuff going on in in everything's in perfect detail the buildings all the way across the screen that you can see, there's no, like, clouding or pixelation. They're all, like, perfectly detailed, and there's a thousand zombies on the screen, and nothing's breaking. Yeah, like I said, I watched a, a quick look on Giant Bomb of it, and it just looked like, I don't know, I wasn't expecting a lot just from the trailer I'd seen, but that really kind of blew me away. I mean, the big open world, all those vehicles you can drive, all the different cool weapons, that looked a lot, a lot of fun. And the concept, and again, I, I never played the others, and I know that it was similar to this, like you were in a mall, so there were all different kinds of stores in the mall where you could pick up the stuff that they would sell in that store, right? So now you're on the streets. Like, you can run into a gun shop and just pick up automatic weapons and just freaking mow down 50 zombies in five seconds. You know, just firing off an automatic weapon. And, and, you know, the combos, and st- like, the, the the building, it's all ridiculous, but it works somehow. You know, like, 
combine a chainsaw and a sledgehammer and you get a chain hammer. You know, <laughs> whatever. It all just works. Yeah, I saw like uh, it looked like Wolverine claws, but it was like a dragon costume or something. Yeah, you just like you know, hack and slash your way through the zombies uh, hand to hand. But yeah, I mean, of all the launch games I've seen, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know Call of Duty. I mean, it is Call of Duty, and it's what you know. You, I know you're a big Call of Duty guy, and it's kind of like Madden. You get it every year, and you kind of expect certain things and what have you. But as far as all the launch games are concerned, that was probably my the one that impressed me the most. And I must say, like. Same and same. You could say the same for Assassin's Creed. It's a great game, but it's Assassin's Creed. I mean, if you've played the other four or whatever there are, you pretty much have the idea. Different. Although and the 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 use of the ships is much more yeah, a, a thing, thing than it was in like three. Like three, it was there, but from what I've seen of four, it seems like such a major and really fun you know aspect of the game, just going around and fighting other ships. Yeah, no, it's definitely great, and it looks fantastic. But I really can't say that I look at you know, Dead Rising at 720, and then I look at Assassin's Creed in 1080. Like, I really can't say that there's a huge difference. Right. Um, they both look awesome. They both play really smoothly. Um, you know, because I, I know a lot was made about Xbox running a lot of stuff on 720 or whatever. But yeah, uh, it I runs. Really it runs. It. it runs natively at 720. I mean, if you you can't upscale it, but it's still running natively inside the machine at 720. Yeah. Um, I don't want to take too much time doing this. I'm just trying to think of anything else that stands out. You know, there's always dumb things that just bought. Like, here's a dumb thing. You have the rechargeable controller for Xbox. Now, the way I do things is I play the game. I say, oh, I'm probably going to have to charge this controller. I shut the, you know, I shut the system with the controller, and then I plug in the controller on my way out. Plugging in the controller starts the f-ing thing up again. Really? Yes, that's two <laughs> times you have to beat me, Russ. <laughs> that's right. Um, so I, now I have to figure, like, whatever. It's not a big deal. It's not like a deal breaker or whatever. But now I got to remember, I got to plug this in before I shut down. <laughs> like, it's just weird to me. The other thing is the USBs are all in the back of the system. I thought there was one on the side, too. There might be one on the side, Jordan, that they're not in the front. And so when my when I know my controller is low and I want to say, I better play with my controller plugged in so it charges as I play, you're losing like all of that cord length coming around the side. Uh. And you're also yanking on, like if it's in the front and you yank it a little bit while you're playing or whatever, it would pull straight out. If it's on the saying. side or around the back, you're bending the freaking USB. You don't have a uh, a USB charger for your phone sitting around that just you can plug a USB into that you can plug into the wall next to you? I'm sure I do, but the USB should be in the front of the $500 <laughs> gaming system. I shouldn't I have to add on other crap. You know, like, I don't know, it just seems like little stupid things like that that, you know, whatever. Um, they both run really quietly. They do not run half as hot as the other systems. I know PS3 got, like, really hot. I never feel, like, barely any warmth coming out of the PS4. I don't know. My 360 gets hot, although not as hot as the television. One of the things you were talking about was the load times that, like, the PS3 seemed noticeably faster than the PS4. Or the the PS4 seemed notably faster than the Xbox. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um... 
it seems, again, I haven't had a lot of different games in there, but it seems like you need to get further along in the installation to start playing on the Xbox, and it's taking really long to get to that point. PS4, you only have to be about 20% into the install usually to get going, and getting to that 20% doesn't seem to take as long. I know there have been, like, studies, you know, I, I think maybe Giant Bomb or IGN or one of those places actually installed the same game at the same time, and it took, like, double the time on the Xbox. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of disappointing that you have to wait that long to install a game. I get it that they're bigger, but one thing that really disappointed me was it doesn't seem to be cutting down the in-game loading time. Like, I would think if these games are predominantly on the system, it would be much easier to load what they needed to load, you know, than when it was coming from a disc. But it it seems to it's taking just as long in game, and it takes a hell of a long time to get you started. Well, yeah, but I, from what I understand, like the in game loading, like you'll have the the you know the loading to get into the game, but once you're there, there's less loading you know screens once you're actually in the game, right? I, you get what I mean? Like less. There might like be Dead less. Rising. I'll, I'll give you, you have that. to install it. You have to load it when you start playing, but you don't have to load every time you go into another area type deal. Um, right? there might be less. But there are definitely, like, I've noticed in Dead Rising, especially, again, I play multiplayer Call of Duty, so none of this applies, really. But in Dead Rising, I'm definitely waiting around for the next, when I pass a section, it's loading the next section. I mean, okay, it's it is. Not, yeah, and it's not taking any amount of time where I'm going, oh, wow, that didn't take too long. I mean, it's a regular old loading time. The loading times in 2 were really bad as well, but... Uh... You, the, the weird thing was, like, yeah, I, I understand for at least three why the loading times would be longer. Because you can load any, or you can save anywhere, it has to save all those assets. You know, the thousands of zombies, all your weapons, where you are, the, you know, all the, uh, the health of all those things. Um, but you'd think when you're going into a new area, all that stuff resets anyway, at least the zombies do, so it shouldn't take that long. Yeah, uh, I mean, oh, I well. guess that, you know, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, I, I guess it's just... Well, maybe the developers developers will get better at it as time goes as well. That's uh, true. I mean, we've been. I mean, that's that's a general video game thing. We've been griping about that for every generation to come. I mean, some games handle it well, where they do preloading. You know, so as you wander through the world, it's it's kind of it it basically reads ahead so that there isn't anything. Some games, you know, have like a world state or whatever where they have to physically load up the levels. Uh, and and all the assets in it, so it's just it's. I think that's just one of those things that that we're just going to struggle with. Period. Like ten years from now, we'll still be talking about loading times, regardless of whether it's PC or console or whatever. I think that's just that's just the nature of video gaming. Yeah. That being said, I, I definitely give the edge on that one to uh, to the PS4. You know that you know that loading screen in Assassin's Creed, like where you're like running in limbo. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that's definitely shorter now. <laughs> I, remember, I remember it in the past, like just running and run. I don't know. You play, I play games. Like I'm gonna try to get to that light spot, which you know, obviously you can't get anywhere, but you can just run and stuff. Um, that did quicken up. So I'm gonna give the loading times an edge for uh for PS4. And, and I mean, I think, I I guess I would have to say if you're just in this to play games. You might want to go PS4, and if you're in the long haul, if you're into the media center aspect of it, then I would go Xbox. 
that would be like my final thing. One of the one other thing, real quick. I'm curious if you, since you play Call of Duty, if you've noticed it, and maybe since you haven't had like anybody on your friends list play, that one of the gripes I've been hearing is that the matchmaking system and stuff is really a pain in the butt. That it used to be you could just kind of uh, ring somebody up and say, "Hey, let's play this," you know, game. Send them an invite, hop into the game, and then you're kind of off and running. And this one, I know, like Jim, I've just been kind of listening to what the giant bomb guys have been saying they've been r- really down on the uh, on the matchmaking side of the multiplayer yeah you know like you said i really haven't just had anybody playing yet you know the <laughs> I, I think the few people on my friends list that have the xbox one don't play call of duty and and uh i don't really know anybody with a ps4 i really didn't know anybody with a ps3 i, I kind of stayed to the single player stuff on that so I haven't had that chance. Um, I did fire up Skype one time, and it works great. Um, I could see that being cool with the Snap system. Like if you, you know, if we're playing uh, some multiplayer or Horde mode or something like that, having a Snap window with Skype open where we could see each other um, in the video, uh, you know, box, that would be cool. Uh, again, it's like it's what you want to do socially because that's where all this has gone. It's all social. You know, that's that's where everything's focused towards. So if you like playing games with other people and seeing them on screens and yelling at each other and stuff, you know, that's great. That's the way it's headed. But it, it just seems like, too, the the environment and the world has changed. You know, when when it was important for Xbox 360 and the PS3 to be media centers and to have a lot of this media and app capability there weren't a lot of other choices and there weren't a lot of other options that did it well. I mean, now we've got Apple TV, we've got Roku, you've got smart TVs, you've got, you know, uh, Google TV, things like that, that do media, I think very well and from, and and do it in a very low key, low power situation. Um, So it it just sounds like for some of these, I mean, obviously, you know, PlayStation, Sony and, and Microsoft still have a Netflix app and, and things like that. But, you know, with Netflix looking to unify the user experience, it, it looks like across all their apps, they're kind of uni- unifying how these things look and feel. So, you know, it used to be before, the, the, in my opinion, the PS3 Netflix app was bar none the best, you know, user experience for Netflix there was out there. And, and now that that's, that's kind of standardizing across multiple platforms, it's less of a, of a, of a bigger deal. And it just sounds like play, that Sony maybe more so than Microsoft is kind of, pulled away from the media capabilities and just said, look, there's there's 15 other things out there that do this probably better than we will and, and are much smoother. We're going to focus on what we know, which is is video games and and solidifying that that experience. And then with the share feature, you know, hooking into the social aspect, which is where, you know, things are going as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. For a minute, for roughly a minute, I was angry that Sony wasn't going to be able to be used as a DLNA server. And then I realized, like, since... And I was using my PS3 for a media server for, what, seven years, however long it was out. And I realized since then, you know, my Blu-ray player does it, my TV does it, my Apple TV does it, you know. (laughs) There's just so many different options for these things now. I'd rather have the PlayStation off more than letting that thing heat up and work hard. And just use it for games. I agree. I think that 
has a lot to do with my, why my, I mean, granted it took seven years or six years, but I think that's why my PlayStation kind of finally, you know, bit the dust was it was my primary Blu-ray player and then became my primary 3D Blu-ray player. Um, and, and using it for that more so than anything else, you know, obviously shortened the life. So. And again, it, different time, right? Like when Blu-ray players were 250 bucks, it made total sense to just go ahead and get the PlayStation for an extra hundred bucks. You got all the video games along with the Blu-ray. Right. It was the same way they did with uh, PlayStation 2 and a DVD player. Right, right. And now what's a Blu-ray player at, at Walmart? 60 bucks? You know? Yeah. 80 bucks and you get all of the apps. <laughs> you know? So, it, I don't know. To me, you know, I know, I think Microsoft pushes it harder than Sony wanting to be that one thing that controls everything in your entertainment center, but I kind of want them to last longer as video games. But that's me. Well, I uh, I played a beta of a game that will soon be on the next generation of consoles. Since What's we're that? talking video games. Uh, the Elder Scrolls Online. From the people that brought you Oblivion and Skyrim. Oh, cool. It's how, their uh, massively it? multi... I, uh, I got to play beta over a weekend, unfortunately, you know, because I have tiny kiddos and stuff. I think I probably played a total of like four to maybe four or five hours. Um, but it was pretty, pretty good. It was, it was, um, it was, it was very much in the flavor of the other Elder Scrolls game. You got experience points for discovering things. It was the same, you know, design aesthetic. I spent most of my time in Morrowind because I was playing a dark elf. Um, and they totally redid that area from the game Morrowind. Uh, which was, I think, their third game in the series. So now this, that, everything that looked blocky and, and weird back then in that game is all like beautifully textured and done. The graphics are really great. Um, it ran really well on my, on my laptop. So I, I, I don't really think it's going to be a huge, like, uh, you know, graphics card, uh, hog or whatever, but, uh, it, it just really looked really great. The only problem is I, I, found, I heard that they're going to go with the, you know, the World of Warcraft model where you have to pay like 60 bucks for the game and then 15 a month after that to keep playing the game. And I don't know if it was worth that to me, you know what I mean, to, to go for that kind of model. I mean, I know it's worked for other games like World of Warcraft and the Old Republic and, and stuff like that, but um, it was good, but I didn't know. I don't know if it's that good, you know what I mean? So, um, it. Yeah, I'd be surprised to see if that sticks with that model. I mean, even World of Warcraft, now you can play the first. I think 30 levels for free, and then um, with Old Republic, it's free to play as well, completely free to play, up to level, I forget, 50 or something like that. Um, right. You know, also. But the, the graphics were outstanding. I mean, the environments were really great. They looked as good as Skyrim, if not better in some places. And it had that thing that you, you get in those kind of open-world Bethesda games where if you're on a mountain and you look over there and you see something really cool, you can go check that out and it'll be there. You know what I mean? It won't be a wallpaper or a fake, you know, invisible wall or whatever at all. It's all there. Um, I didn't get to see, you know, a whole, you know, a lot of the world because the only part that was really open uh, was Morrowind. But uh, I, I remember that game pretty well. So I was finding my way through the different towns and, and dungeons and whatnot. And a lot of the things were kind of there and but redone. Uh, from back then, so they're really trying to create like a big cohesive world from that environment. But I mean, it looked great, and it was first person, which I really liked. I was worried, you know, with the move to massively multiplayer, it would go third person. But it, you could definitely play it first person. And um, 
I just don't know if I'm I'm ready to you know pay that much of a price tag for it. I thought it was good, but it wasn't that good. You know, is is massive multiplayer, and this will show you how long it's been like since I played one of these. Is it still sort of caught in that rut of like, all right, I'm level one, I have to kill rats for sixteen hours until I can get a better weapon than this stick. Well, this and... is more story driven than that. I mean, I know what you're saying, like, World of Warcraft is very much like what you're talking about in the early going, you know, collect twelve beaver pelts, you know, go beat up on beavers or, or whatever. Um, this was more story driven. It was like, you know, talk to this person, find out you know, it all had um a, a point to it at the beginning there was like a preamble part where you literally come back from the land of the dead and then you end up um in in um you know the world of tamriel which is where skyrim and oblivion and everything are and you know you don't you have like people that you talk to that are quest givers but it's more story driven it's not you know go do you know there aren't that many fetch quests that i came across nothing wrong with beating a beaver every once in a while though hey now And now we have the quote for the night and the title for the podcast. <laughs> Beating the Beaver. How did you end up with that beta? Just kind of like signed up on an email type deal? I did, yeah. I, I signed up on a lot of, uh, you know, tried to try out for betas or whatnot, and I got an invite back. Um, the press embargo just came up on it, I think, yesterday or the day before. So now I can talk about it with all of you. And is that just is that a PC thing or that's not going to be a console? No, it's going to be on the Xbox One and oh, the okay. PS4 and PC. So it's going to be, um, I think it's coming to PS4 and Xbox in spring of uh, of 2014. It's kind of funny, uh, you know, the launch time is like so crazy, and now I don't think anything comes out for the. I don't. I don't think any titles come out for Xbox until like March. Titanfall. Yeah, it's like a wasteland. Yeah, and, and I know it's light for the PlayStation, but I think they have a couple in January or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Titanfall is the big one. I think that was originally supposed to be a launch title, and it got pushed back a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, that looks yeah. incredible though. And uh, Watch Dogs for PS is that like a marcher? I yeah, think so. Yeah, also. Mecca also got moved to spring, and then the PS exclusive, the uh, the new infamous Second Son, which I, I begin hearing a lot of good things about. So I think yeah, that was also March. Yeah, it'll pick up again in the spring for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, that was a heck of a lot of video game talk. How about we uh, stay with the video, but just go with the television? Because I know a lot of us, well, most of us, are, are want to talk about Doctor Who, and then I've been watching Almost Human and some other shows that we've all seen. So. Let's let's talk to some uh, TV. Cool. Okay, all you Whovians, come on in. I'm going to make a sandwich. I'll see I must say, um, it was a pretty cool TV, like, event. You know, like, everybody was really jazzed up about it, and, uh, you know, it was a two-hour deal, which was kind of crazy. Um you know, I managed to get my daughter like excited about it and stuff. So that was cool. You know, you don't, I don't think you get that too much anymore. I mean, I, I know people yap a lot about finales and premieres and stuff like that, but this seemed like, I don't know, a little different. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I've said before when talking about Doctor Who, I really like the show. I don't love it. There are moments and characters in some episodes that I love, but generally it falls into the really like and sometimes below that category. I loved the 50th anniversary special, the day of the doctor, it was just beginning to end. It was way funnier than I expected. Well, not that doctor who isn't, you know, often funny, but you know, I was just expecting more of a big bombastic kind of dark story. And this was that, but also 
really, really funny. Lots of great lines. John Hurt, who's always great, but I don't think of him as being funny, was hilarious the whole way through. Um, and all kinds of cameos and, and unexpected uh, surprises. I loved this thing beginning to end. What really stood out to me was that uh, the way Smith and Tennant worked together, um, you know, it was like they were yeah. born to be on screen together. It's almost too bad that, you know, the way things play out with, you know, there's one doctor at a time, obviously, but it's almost like, wow, these guys could do a series as the two of them. You know what I mean? It'd yeah. be cool someday to get it like a season of Doctor Who where you have two of them for some reason. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, basically the, the two doctors, but a whole season of it that they just don't end that story. But uh, not right now, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the Tenant so far has been my favorite. So seeing him back just number, you know, just in general was awesome. So I was I was happy that. Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, John, you talked about it being like this big event, too. The other thing is it was broadcast worldwide simultaneously, which was pretty incredible that, you know, 3.30 or 1.30 or, you know, whatever, based on where you were in, in the in the U.S. at least, it was on because that's, you know, when it was being broadcast in the U.K. I thought that was ingenious um, for a variety of reasons. One, it kind of gives it that communal aspect. I think people were jazzed up about getting together and watching it. I know uh, for Wizard World Austin, they uh, they had like a, they were allowed to have like this big premiere or party where they got to show it. I know that there were movie theaters that were showing a 3D uh, version of it. Um, but just, you know, too, and then it cuts down on piracy. I mean, if everybody can kind of watch it all at the same time, then, you know, you're not so worried about people, you know, bootlegging it uh, and watching it that way. So I just thought from that perspective, that was that was pretty impressive to do it that way. And just really in, in terms of the content, you know, just really smart, you know, like it's it's always smart. I mean, when you get away with pulling off some of the like ridiculous stuff that's going on on a show like that, um, you know, you know, it's just done really well. Like even bringing back Rose, uh, Billy Piper, just smart the way they did it. You know, like it wouldn't make sense. It would be forced any other way yeah. except her just being the not really her. It's the, you know, it's the embodiment of her. Um, the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Slash bad wolf, which 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 may now be one and the same thing. It's still unclear, but I thought that was kind of cool because I never really understood bad wolf in that in that first season, and now if they are the same thing, I feel like I kind of do. Right. So that and works. John Hurt was awesome. I mean, just having him be this, uh, you know, Jordan. After we talked last time, I watched the Night of the Doctor, which is free on YouTube. That sets up how John Hurt became the Doctor and kind of how they're getting around. You know, him not technically being another doctor uh, was was pretty cool. I mean, it's like six minutes long. It's really short, but it definitely is is awesome that it sets it sets that up. And it's kind of cool because he was obviously the doctor or in that incarnation for a long time. Because, I mean, not to spoil it, but at the at the or I guess to spoil it, warning. Um, at at the end of that, in the you in in a reflection, you see a very young representation of John Hurt, and then of course at the beginning of Day of the Doctor we see him as, as an older man. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah. And and now I want a Paul McGann spinoff show or a spinoff set of Paul yeah. McGann movies or something because he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was just really well done. I mean, the whole, you know, picture of the last moments of Gallifrey being this three-dimensional, real-life kind of slice of time in a, in a picture, I thought was really awesome. And, and supposedly, 
if you saw it in 3D, that effect was was pretty impressive. Yeah, they're releasing the. Uh, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna splurge for the 3D Blu-ray, just to get all that effect. You know, like yeah. I didn't get to see it. I guess they were showing it in theaters as well. Yeah, you in know, theaters, it, and it was also the final 3D BBC broadcast. Ah, uh, so it was actually aired in 3D as well in in the UK. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I'd I'd like to see it in 3D. Um, again, for that like depth, you know, especially with the with the picture that you mentioned, Russ, and stuff like that. I mean, it, it didn't come off as something that was in-your-face 3D. You know, I don't recall anything flying at the screen or anything like that. It, it just, I'd uh, imagine the Fez would, but it didn't stick out in, in any way, right. <laughs> pun unintended, in the 2D broadcast. Right. And then j- just the way they incorporated all the Doctors into into it, I thought was pretty cool at the end where they were all kind of, you know, spinning around this thing and, and, uh, and Tom Baker having his, his little cameo uh, which I'm not really sure I quite understand what was going on with that, but I, either way, I thought it was still cool that uh, they were uh, Tom Baker in there as an older as an older man. So that was that was neat. That was neat. Plus, Peter Capaldi was not expecting him to show up in this, and when or, he did, at least I just about jumped out of my chair. Yeah. Now, what's the deal with uh, with Eccleston? Did he have some kind of falling out, or was it just scheduling? Yeah, from what I've read, he liked being the Doctor. He likes Doctor Who, but he didn't get along with the production staff or something like that. And he's jokingly said, when it gets around to the 100th anniversary, I'll come back for that, but not for the 50th. Interesting. So they they had to use stock footage, which isn't surprising. They had to use stock footage for everybody else. Yeah. But it would have been nice to have like two or three more frames of Hurt regenerating into him. But, you know, you can still see it in what they had there. Even if the uh, the American rebroadcasts of it um, put a put a um, uh, commercial break right there at the end of it, so you, you almost get to see less because it cuts to something else. But oh well. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna. I, I think I'm gonna check out that Blu-ray just to see. You know, also like you said, Jordan, with a broadcast version and stuff can be slightly different than uh, you know a full uncut version. So. And did you guys, did either of you guys get to see the Five-ish Doctors reboot? No. Uh-uh. So, on the same day, I don't think, I don't know if it was on BBC One, it might have been on two or three, but um, the same day as the day of the Doctor aired, they aired this half an hour comedy special directed by Peter Davidson, and it's five, six, and seven, primarily, trying to break onto the set of the 50th to force the producers to put them in it. Oh, I heard about this, and yes. And it's... It's got cameos from almost every single living doctor, a bunch of the companions, Moffat and Davies are both in it. It was, and, and granted, I should say this, I'm, a, I'm not a classic Who guy, I, I just simply have not seen it. Um, I've read a lot about it, but I haven't really seen any of the stuff. I still found this thing just hilarious start to begin, start to end. It was really, really funny watching these three senior citizens, you know, get into hijinks. That's funny. I wonder... Um, what the status of like those old episodes are in terms of like home video and stuff. I think so, they're I think they're all on DVD. I, I was going to mention. Uh, I was cruising through Amazon the other day, and it looks like they have it. And I didn't go down the the rabbit hole too far, but there are at least some episodes of almost every season of Doctor Who on um on Amazon. So if you go through like it's it it has 
you know, definitely season one, season two, and and then like a bunch of the Tom Baker stuff. So I'm not sure how much of it is fully intact. I don't know how much is missing, but there's at least some episodes, it seems, of almost every season of the classic stuff on Amazon Instant Instant Watch. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everything that is not lost is available, and there's, what, 104 lost episodes. But even with the lost episodes, there's a number of them that they have. I think the scripts are all available. You can find the scripts for them, so you can find out what happened. The audio for some of them is still in existence, and so there's some of them where it might be on DVD or whatever, but where it'll be playing the audio track, and you'll see still photography from the filming of the episode or something, or, you know, whatever, you know, in place as the visual. But... Yeah, I think as far as I know, everything that's not lost is available for some type of consumption, be it VHS or DVD or Blu-ray or streaming or whatever. It's good stuff. Also, uh, An Adventure in Space and Time, the TV movie uh, about the creation of Doctor Who that the BBC aired two weeks before the the 50th, I think it was, or a week before, that was really good as well. Cool. Um, and if anybody wants to know more about my thoughts on all this 50th stuff, uh, the 40th episode of uh, Jersey Shore went up the other day, and that is our Doctor Who 50th anniversary episode where we talk in depth about all of this stuff and more. 40 already, huh? Uh, 44, technically, because every 10 episodes I release a bonus episode, so 44, but 40 numbered ones. Very cool. Yep, coming up on a year. So, Jim, why don't you re-enter the uh, conversation and tell us some TV stuff. Human, and I've been liking it quite a quite a bit. Yeah, I I like it a lot. I'm uh, unfortunately not happy with uh, the ratings. I'm ready for Fox to can it. Yeah, it, uh, with the, it's not getting good ratings. Um, they're not terrible yet, but they're dropping, and they're in that. Uh, I think I saw 1.8 the last time. They're getting in that danger zone. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not catching on. I mean, I, I don't know. I think maybe the way that it's – I think when you try to, like, explain it to people or when they see commercials, it comes off as dumb. Um, you know, but it's, it's really – it's pretty good. I like, the, uh, I like the characterization a lot. I didn't think I would like a human cop interacting with his android partner as much as I do. Yeah, and I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would too. I was basically expecting like an alienation ripoff or something like that. And it's got like a lot of elements from a lot of other movies and shows in it, but I think the mix is good. And I, it's funny that you mentioned it's on the bubble or whatever, because my first reaction when I saw it was that I thought the production level was, was pretty high for a Fox show. You know, the effects were actually fairly decent. The production design you know, was pretty cool. Um, the, they had a pretty high caliber of, of actor with, you know, a, Carl Urban and Michael Urie, and then also Lily Taylor in the supporting cast. You know, um, so I'm I'm sorry to hear it's on the bubble. I'm really I'm really enjoying it. It's one of the big surprises for me this season. Yeah, I mean Carl Carl Urban just he just brings it. That seems to be the term I always use with Carl Urban. Like he's there, he's there. You know, he's he brings his A game everything he does, and uh, you know it really shows. I'm interested to see. I'm surprised for a J.J. Abrams show that there's no, like, overarching mystery or twist yet. You know, it's been pretty straightforward yeah. one-and-dones. From, from what I heard, that they're going to really shy away from that with this show, that this is going to be more police procedural, that, that there is going to be a little bit of that in the background. I think we'll learn a little bit more about 
um, that, you know, criminal organization with, you know, with uh, Urban's partner where, you know, they got shot at the beginning. And I think you'll find a little bit more out about, you know, how Dorian got shut down or why they took that model off the market. But I think for the most part, what I heard was they're going to focus on, um, you know, weekly, more like weekly police procedural, which I'm I'm guessing maybe they're hoping will help with the viewership that if people don't feel like they missed three episodes and they want to hop back in, that they're going to be completely and utterly lost, like on Fringe or Lost or, you know, Battlestars or one of those shows that maybe they could they could kind of gain the advantage that way. But it, it, it'd be a real shame if it if they don't give it a chance, because it's it's really solid. I like you guys. I liked it a lot more than I thought. I thought it would be OK and I'm finding it to be a lot better. I just the character interactions. Um, it kind of feels like, you know, Blade Runner, RoboCop slash 80s, you know, buddy cop flick, but, but done pretty well. I mean, it just, you know, the humor is just the right tone and, and touch there. And it's, it, like I said, it's surprising me. I, I actually think they have it backwards. I, I think you need that hook to bring you back every week to a show. You know, like... I think of Elementary, the new Elementary show with Lucy Liu and um, what's his name with three names. Um, thank you. And, uh, you know, I liked it. I liked every one I watched, but they didn't tie them together. So after I missed a couple, I was like, I don't really need to catch up. You know, there's really no reason to go back. When I see it, I'll see it and I'll know, you know, what's going on. Um, but like Lost in those shows, I didn't miss one. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just think they have it backwards. I think you need the hook. I guess in some ways it's Catch-22. I mean, you know, there's just as many people that maybe would miss one and, and then just say, I'll oh, forget it, as opposed to, you know, just say, oh, there's nothing. You know, I could miss one and it's okay. So. Yeah, I, 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 speaking to your point, actually, Russ, another show that kind of surprised me this season was Sleepy Hollow. Because it's, uh, it's actually kind of fun. It's got some cool stuff going on. And, I mean, there is an overarching story that goes on from story, you know, from episode to episode or whatever. But also, I think they're they're fairly self-contained. I think it's, I mean, you kind of have to have a balance between the two. Like John says, you know, you have to have enough of a story to bring the person back next week. And then you also have to have enough of a, you know, a closure, a denouement at the end of that to, to for them to feel like, you know, that not really one and done, but that there's some sort of, you know, the stories progress somehow, you know what I mean? So, but I mean, almost human has been a surprise for me. Brooklyn nine, nine has been a big surprise for me. It's a lot. Of I have been loving Brooklyn nine, nine. I grew up in a Barney Miller household as a kid. So, I mean, it really hits a sweet spot for me. And I thought it would be, you know, Andy Samberg just going over the top and, and everything, but it's not the cast, you know, the whole ensemble cast is really great. Uh, Andre Brower, Terry Crews, um, uh, Joe Latruglio, I mean, really, it's really funny and, and smartly written, a lot smarter than I thought it would be. And it's it, probably the most diverse cast on, you know, a, a major network television show right now, which is great. I mean, you've got a major, uh, gay African American character. You, you actually have two African American, uh, main characters. You've got, uh, several, uh, Hispanic American main characters, a couple female American, you know, female American. That's just, now I'm just getting too, uh, PC here. Uh, you know, a couple f- female me- main characters. The other main characters are like Italian and stuff. There's like not, not a single wasp in the main show. Actually, the one wasp in the cast is the guy they always make fun of, Hitchcock. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, you know, like beat up <laughs> but he's an old guy and so. all that other stuff. But um, it's really I mean the uh, I, I was talking about this on Nothing's On the last time I was on there. Um, the, the season for me has been like uh, full of pleasant surprises here and there. You know what I mean? Brooklyn Nine Nine being one, Sleepy Hollow being better than I thought it would be, uh, almost human. You know, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, of crap. Don't get me wrong. But, um, I mean, there have been a few, you know, decent shows here and there that have come out this season. And for anybody who's enjoying Sleepy Hollow, check out the Icapod Cranecast, hosted by our buddy Aaron Newirth, right there at uh, hhwlod.com. Who's on safari right now. Although yeah. I think he came back today. So yeah. welcome oh, back yeah. home, Aaron. Yeah. You and, uh, you know, I know Hollow. we have a whole... I know we have a whole show on it, but uh, I'm not on that show, so I will say here, I'm continuing to really enjoy Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, which you can listen to the, the, the Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast at also at hhwlod.com. But, uh, I'll uh, tell you my, 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 really one problem, my one problem with the S.H.I.E.L.D. show. Okay, you ready? Because I, 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 I have yet to be invited to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. So. <laughs> not enough full frontal nudity? No. Sky. The character of Sky is my whole problem with the show. She has no business being there. She has no reason for being there. And I just wish she would go away. Yeah, that's pretty much been the consensus, I think. I think we, we've we labeled her, uh, her good shows are when she is less annoying. I just want her to go away. I mean, there's, there's, I, the, the internal logic of her even being there bothers me. You know what I mean? Why, why would you have, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I, I you already have two tech people. I'm sure one of them knows how to look something up on Google. You know, um, I don't know. She just seems like dead weight. I just wanted to go away and, and give me more stuff with Mei Ling and, um, or uh, Melinda May and, uh, and Coulson, you know, give me more stuff there. Give me more stuff with Fitz and Simmons. They're, they're, they're good together, you know, <laughs> but I, I, she just annoys the hell out of me. I've had this prediction for the season, uh, pretty much since the beginning and I've been meaning to say it on the air and I never have. And now I feel like I'm too damn late after the episode, the well, but, my prediction for the season um, is that by the end of it, Ward will either have superpowers or be a villain or both. Um, and, and I feel like I may have spoken a little too late because of the episode of The Well, where he kind of does both for, you know, half an episode. But I, I have a feeling that's going to be the, be the big twist by the end is he's been on the other side the entire time. And despite the fact you thought he was a, you know, bland, white toast, goody goody, uh, that was all an act. A poor act, but you know, a, you know, an act for the whole thing, um, and I think that'll that'll be an interesting twist on it. But I don't I hope to do something with that character because I mean, they really haven't done a lot with him so far, you know. Well, in the episode, the well, they did a ton with him, right? I right, like. I understand, but I mean, it just up to that point, it's just kind of very, like you said, very bland. I think we're all waiting for the other Whedon shoe to drop. You know, there's gonna somebody's gonna die, somebody's gonna go bad. <laughs> it's just a matter of, you know, who and when, I guess. And, you know, I don't hate Sky either. I mean, I understand why people do, but I, I don't have any problem with her. But I, I will point out that on pretty much every Whedon show I've watched, I'd say Firefly is the exception because it's the exception to a lot of the Whedon rules. But in almost every Whedon show I've watched, there's always that character that I do hate until the very abrupt moment when I don't and they become my favorite character. Um, now, whether or not that will happen, you know, for Sky with the people who hate her, I don't know. But there's a lot of characters like, uh, you Cordelia. know, Cordy on. I, I hated Cordy Cordelia. until all of a sudden I yeah. loved Cordy until yeah. they really went off the rails with her towards the end. But you know, there's there's characters like that in all these Whedon shows that everybody's annoyed by. Everybody's annoyed by until the moment they become the best sh- character on the show. Like who was the tech guy on um, 
on Dollhouse, the guy who was in Cabin in the Woods. Topher. Topher, yeah. He, it, people complained about him nonstop until he was like the best, most interesting character on that show all of a sudden in season two. Yeah. You know, some of these things just take time. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, and that's kind of what we talked about too, is it's a 22 episode season. We're not even halfway through at this point. So, um, you know, give it, give it a little, give it a little breathing room, see what happens. And this is a show that's going to get the time. Right. You know, yeah. because it's, it's Marvel and it's ABC and it's Disney, whatever. And the ratings are, are pretty strong. But, you know, a show like Almost Human just doesn't have that luxury. You right. almost gotta, you gotta come out of the gates, you know, with a bang and hope that, uh, Something sticks. I mean, Agents of Shield is one of those rare shows where the network will allow it to take a loss. Like, I don't think they're making either. It's at a loss right now, but even if the you know the ratings took a tumble through the floor, it's such built. It's so built into their other properties. It's pretty much you can consider it a lost leader if you want to, and they will accept that for probably two, three seasons at least. Yeah, I mean, I look at stuff like Once Upon a Time, which can't be a cheap show to produce between sets and costumes and effects and stuff like that and just the large cast i mean that show has a huge cast and we're into the third season of that show it's spun off a show and the ratings for that show are lower quite a bit lower than than what they are for agents of shield but again i think because it's disney and it kind of perpetuates the snow white prince charming the seven dwarfs you know peter pan you know all of that disney property stuff it's almost like it's okay for it to be a bit of a lost leader because it's it it kind of uh keeps those properties in mind you know what have you and and like we said with with shield same same thing you know it it it's a vehicle that could be used both ways you know the movies to promote the show the show to promote the movies and just keep that you know kind of like you know you can't really say a, a coke commercial convince you to go out and buy coca-cola but the fact that you see it constantly keeps it in your brain. So, exactly, exactly. Brand recognition. Yep. I've been liking. Uh, spe- speaking of TV as well, uh, Arrow has been pretty solid into season two. I-, I think they they gave it a little bit of a not necessarily a change of direction, but I think a change of of the direction of the character of Oliver Queen. They're pulling in a lot more of the DC stuff. There's a lot of subtle hints to a lot of stuff going on in the DC universe, which I think is awesome. Um, and uh, Felicity Smoke, I think, is my new is my new favorite hottie. So, she on the list? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, uh, I I was very glad they killed off the Count Vertigo character because he annoyed the hell out of me. And I like Arrow except for the CWE parts. You know what I mean with the young people falling in oh, yeah. love and everything. Yeah, yeah. If you everybody's, were to cut that out gorgeous. of there, and I mean, if you were to cut that out of there, I think it'd be a much it's funny, I'm way behind on Arrow, woefully behind. I'm in the middle of season one. and uh, But every time I run past an Arrow article on the internet, it's about them introducing a new DC character. You know, like they're really just knee-deep into, uh, into DC continuity. And it sounds like they're, you know, for the most part, pulling everything off pretty well. Everybody seems to be happy with the portrayals of the different heroes and villains that show up. Yeah, I guess they've, I guess they've decided to go with Flash, out of that show and into his own pilot and stuff. So that should be cool too. Yeah, they were just going to have a backdoor pilot through Arrow, but they uh, decided to give him his own uh, order for uh, his own pilot for the Flash character. So it'll be interesting. And they just hired a young actress to play um, 
one of the daughters of Ra's al Ghul, not Talia, because I think she's part of the Batman uh, properties, but it's uh, Nissa al Ghul, so they're going to bring all that into Arrow as well. So, Very cool. The only other show I wanted to mention was uh, Blacklist. Anybody watching Blacklist? I've watched it no. a couple times. My wife, my wife enjoys it quite a bit. Blacklist is uh, it's really good because of James Spader. Um, it's basically the premise is a total Silence of the Lambs ripoff. Just replace serial killers with terrorists. So James Spader has gone to the FBI. He's one of the worst terrorists in the world. And he is going to dole out help so that they can catch other terrorists. And he will only speak to this one particular female agent. I'm telling you, it's a Silence of the Lambs ripoff. Yeah, and she's a uh, redhead too. But they totally, <laughs> yeah, they they totally uh, have pulled it off. And Joe Carnahan, who is a pretty good director, um, what Smoke and Aces, The A Team, uh, The Gray, some of his better stuff that he's directed in the movies. Um, he's an executive producer of this show. And he directed a two-part episode that's going on right now. Part one was last uh, last week. Part two will be this week coming up. Best hour of TV I have seen in a really long time. Like, not since 24 have I been, like, on the edge of my seat like this television episode. Huh. And I think, and, and the show's doing really well. Again, probably because of Spader and for whatever reason it took off out of the gates. But I think once word of mouth gets around about this two-part episode that Carnahan did, uh, it's really going to hit another spike. Really good stuff. And you guys, if you can check it out, you don't really need to know what's gone on before. You can figure out enough to watch this two-parter. And uh, very cool. I recommend it. Awesome. I've got Hulu Plus, so I, I'm maybe I'll go back and check that out now that I've, uh, I've caught up on the following, which I don't know if you guys have watched the following at all. I watched like the first four or five. Man, it's it's really good. I was really impressed. I, I kind of marathoned. Uh, the first 15 episodes are on Netflix. The show comes back for season two in January, um, and it, it's it's really really well done. I'm I'm again, it's just another one of those shows that I I wasn't quite sure if it was going to make it, so I kind of just uh, you know didn't want to disappoint myself so I distanced it a little bit but when it comes back in January I'll I'll definitely be back on the train and and watching it as as they come out cuz it's uh it's just really well done and it's just one of those crazy shows too where nobody's safe and you know crazy stuff happens to main characters and um you know they're not afraid to spend a lot of time investing in somebody's backstory and then just killing them cool I didn't uh I was enjoying it it's just another one of those you know, missed a couple, and that is definitely a show that you need to view all of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was planning on grabbing it, like, as a set or when it was all out on uh, Netflix or whatever. Well, speaking of Hulu Plus, uh, Russ, I was uh, I picked up a, a show that was originally on BBC that's all on uh, Hulu Plus now called Misfits. It's kind of like oh, Heroes yeah. or, um, or, or Alphas was. Uh, I watched the first season of that, I think. Maybe the first two, but definitely the first one. I enjoyed it. It was these like juvenile delinquent kids are doing uh, community service, and they get zapped with uh, superpowers. So it's like the the tagline is sex, drugs, and superpowers. Um, it, it's pretty good. I'm I'm uh, almost done with the first season. 
Uh, but all five seasons are available on Hulu Plus right now. The only thing I'll say about that show is a negative, and it's not really a negative, it's just me being picky, is some of the accents, not all, but some of them are really hard to understand um, if you don't watch a lot of British uh, television. Uh, I forget what the one girl is, uh, what what her accent is specifically, but I could understand like every third word of, out of her mouth. And I'm, no, no offense to Brad Milo, but I'm not Brad Milo. I normally can understand accents. And some of these characters, it was just like, what in the world did they just say? Uh, but I, I did enjoy that first season. Yeah, the the one guy is uh, the same actor as in Utopia. I know it's a big uh, you know, favorite of ours. And one of the guys in it um, is also from the, the BBC show, not the BBC show. We, we always, uh, you know, reduce British shows to BBC, but um, to uh, Skins. I think he was in seasons two and three or three and four, maybe. It's either one and two or three and four. That's the way they would do Skins, but uh, was very good. Played uh, James Cook. Um, but yeah, uh, fun show. And also, uh, speaking of uh, British stuff, Sherlock is coming back very soon. January, I think, 3rd. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be done, like, quick. I think it's, like, the 3rd, the 7th, and then the 15th or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the 3rd, the 7th, and the 12th or something like that. Yeah, it's going to be super quick, and then it's going to be, like, 1, 2, 3, done. I'd rather have quality than quantity any day, especially when it comes to uh, my Sherlock Holmes. That feels like it's been forever. I'm going to have to watch those two seasons again. Oh, it's been, like, two and a half years, I think, because they went and did The Hobbit and Star Trek Into Darkness and... No, it hasn't been that long. It was it was a little over a year ago. Not it was definitely it was. I want to say it was going to be January of two years ago. No, because I got I watched them January of last year. Um, the all three, and it was shortly after they aired in Britain. It's been a long time. It's yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. As I say. Uh, speaking of Netflix and Hulu and stuff, uh, there's a, a movie, I guess I call it documentary is the best way to explain it, and it was something I I talked to Jordan about off just off air after recording or whatever one day. Hey, Russ, ju- yeah. just to cut you off real quick, Series 2 aired in January of 2012. Series 3 will be January of 2014. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> it's, it's longer than you realize. No, time flies. Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Anyway, this documentary it's called uh, Side by Side, and I don't know I don't know if you guys have seen this on Netflix. I followed your recommendation and watched it as well. So just to set it up for the other guys, it's it's a documentary that examines the con- the pros and cons of shooting digital versus on film, and it's it's by Keanu Reeves. He he kind of does the interviewing part of it, which I think he does a fine job. Um, but oh, they, yeah, he was good. Yeah, they talked to George Lucas, they talked to Robert Rodriguez, they talked to David Lynch, they talked to David Fincher, they talked to, I think, Peter Bogdanovich. Cameron's in there for sure. Yeah, yeah, James Cameron. A lot of the, and they, and they, they try, I think it's definitely weighted more on the pro digital side than the pro celluloid side, but they do a pretty good job of, there's some, there's, there's a few folks in there that are just like, uh, oh, Christopher Nolan, that are just like, I hate digital, I will I will hold on to film until they they pull it from my cold dead hands uh kind of camp. And it's kind of interesting because they they talk about the evolution of how digital filming came about and you know what Lucas started and you know then they they also get pretty heavy into um the editing side of it. You know that that you know regardless of what you think about shooting on film or shooting digitally, 
you know, that digital editing has really just kind of revolutionized film and special effects and everything else. But it's it's like an hour and 20 minutes or so. It's it's really cool. I mean, if you're a film geek uh, like I am and are just fascinated by just, you know, why people make decisions they make. And, and it's one of those things where, honestly, I could I could argue both cases. I mean, I definitely, you know, from a nostalgic point of view, from a, you know, this this looks like you in your head you think film should look. I definitely understand where guys like Nolan and some of those other guys like to shoot on film as opposed to digital. But when you hear, you know, these guys talk about how how much faster it is, how much cheaper it is, how, you know, you could be certain that you're getting exactly what you want. You know, if you if you shoot something and then look at it and it's not exactly what you want, everybody is still in costume and and the, the set is lit and everything's set. And you could just reshoot it, or you could change the angle, or do whatever. I mean, it's just it's it's really just interesting to hear, you know, these guys talk about their techniques and and you know why they do things the way they do. And it's cool they go from everything like you said, Russ, from shooting digitally to editing digitally to digital color correction to digital projection, and they go kind of through each section separately, but also through the years and how they lined up. And you said you thought it was weighted more digital. I don't know that I disagree. I, I think it was pretty even-handed with maybe a tinge of, regardless of whether you love or hate digital, digital is inevitable. Right. Um, and But I, I love that about documentaries. Uh, we've done a documentary episode. We talked about some documentaries recently on Jersey Shore, and I was saying that, you know, I I prefer when a documentary is objective as much as possible i i don't mind a subjective documentary which has a point of view that has its uses but in something like this it's much more interesting for me as a layperson who has an interest in film but is not a filmmaker to be able to get the arguments from all the different angles from the directors of photography to the directors to the color correctionists to the projectionists and just see like russ said you know the pros and cons and you know not just from the what it looks like, but what it costs and how it affects things you might not expect it to affect and the different camera technology. I didn't realize the first digital cameras came around in the early 80s. Um, and some of this stuff was pretty interesting to see how it evolved and how green screen evolved and, and, and blue screen and all these things. And it, really interesting. And I know I'm confusing <laughs> some of the stuff with what I watched on Filmmaker IQ, which is YouTube channel. Russ also um, promoted to me the same time, which has also had a, a lot of real cool stuff. But yeah, it was really fascinating. And I'm not a Keanu Reeves guy. I told Russ this. Um, he's not too overbearing in it, though. I mean, he directs it and he interviews the people, but it's much more about these other people than it is him. He only even adds a few little tidbits here and there of his own stories. Yeah. And it's funny listening. I think Fincher probably was the funniest because he was the most just point of, you know, just matter of fact. I mean, speak exactly what's on his mind, not afraid to offend anybody. But it was just really funny to <laughs> to kind of hear him him go off. And and it's funny on the con side when they started talking about, you know, when Lucas filmed, um, you know, he filmed, I guess, one. I guess once he filmed, he filmed some of episode two digitally, and then episode three, of course, was all digital. Um, I think no, I think it was some of episode one digitally. Episode two was all digital. See, I thought, which is odd because it's not the best argument for digital because that's a terrible movie, but. right? But <laughs> yeah, the 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 argument was that the camera he used at the time was just complete crap. Like they really ragged on, you know, 
yeah, it was it was revolutionary for him to go that way and and you know everything else, but that camera was just a POS. Um, and then you know they really get into like the the most recent red cameras that that are out there, and so it's it's really kind of cool uh, when they talk about like the 6K red camera that they're uh, starting to use. So the documentary is pretty current and up to date. I mean, it's it, I think it was made in 2013, and it it definitely uh, you know doesn't talk about stuff that you know, old technology, I guess, where sometimes you watch these documentaries from two, three years ago, even, and they talk about new tech and, um, you know, sometimes they're, they're outdated on delivery and, and this wasn't the case at all. Laserdisc will be the future. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's another, just real quick, there's another series on Netflix and this one is a bit of a tough sell, but it's called, I think it's called the history of film and odyssey. Uh, and it's like a 10 part series. They're about an hour long each. Uh, and it starts literally at the in the 1890s, and it kind of takes decade by decade, uh, and, and and a lot of it is is foreign film and domestic film, and I'm up to right now where they're getting into the 40s, uh, and and it's starting to focus a lot more on, um, you know, on on traditional filming films that we know, but they talk about a lot of, uh, especially in the in the in the early in the aughts, the teens and the 20s, a lot of really obscure films from you know, France and Germany and Japan and China. Um, the only problem with that, that series is the guy that narrates it. His voice is really irritating and he, he ends everything on a up. Like everything is almost like a question when he says something. Um, and he's got like a really strong, it's either like Scottish or Welsh accent. Um, I think it's, it's another one of those like co BBC productions, but if you could kind of get past him, it's actually kind of an interesting series. Again, that it kind of goes through the history of film, and it's also on Netflix. Cool. Maybe we could segue into a little... Uh... Movie talk? Yeah, and I can even segue with Keanu Reeves, because you I You saw am 47 actually, Ronin? I'm looking forward to 47 Ronin. I don't know why. I'm setting myself up for letdown, probably, but I think Russ, it was Russ that said to me, it'll probably be uh, Sucker Punch, at least, you know, even if it isn't a good movie um it looks like it's going to be really pretty yeah yeah a pretty mess i'm looking forward to that and uh wolf of wall street is my christmas day Mm. choice yeah something about those trailers does it for me the scorsese the cast the content you know the uh the fake the whole nc-17 thing the the jonah hill with the fake teeth yeah Yeah, I always love a Scorsese film, and this one just looks really fun. Oh, no, I think my holiday pick will have to be the new Anchorman, The Return of Ron Burgundy, and it looks pretty sweet. Yeah. I uh, I just recently saw Machete Kills. Did you guys uh, get to see that? No, it's on my list of all the things I've missed recently. Same here. If you, I have been broke. If you are know, know what you expect as far as a Machete movie then I think you'll enjoy yourself. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to spoil too much. Have you guys seen the uh, the fake trailer from, I think it was at the end of Machete Kills, it's or maybe it's be- on the Blu-ray? It's at the beginning of Machete Kills, actually, and it, it actually figures into the ending of the movie, too, in a weird way. It kind of, like, caves in on itself. But, yeah, that's at the beginning of Machete Kills. Machete in Space. Yeah, I don't think this one's going to actually get made. No. But uh, it's still pretty cool. 
Mel Gibson. Well, well, I mean, you never know. Rodriguez makes them so cheap, and they sell well enough on DVD, you know, you might someday get it. Maybe. I really enjoyed it. Mel Gibson was pretty awesome. Uh, the, the, the villains they had him fight and, you know, chop through were all pretty great. You had Sofia Vergara and, uh, um, Alexa Vega and, uh, um, Michelle Rodriguez. So there was a lot of eye candy on the screen. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen is the president. <laughs> no, course. no, I think John was saying he's the eye candy. <laughs> well, he's both, I guess. You could do worse. He's the, pre- he's the president. But, I haven't uh, gotten to see anything yet. I haven't seen Thor yet. I haven't seen the uh, new Statham yet. I haven't oh, wow. seen uh, the Old Boy remake, which I want to see either way, no matter what anybody says. Oh, really? Same Aaron way. Aaron panned it pretty bad if you read his review on on our website, actually. If you go to hhwlod.com right now, you can read Aaron's review where he kind of did not very much appreciate the Old Boy remake by Spike Lee. And the new uh, Hunger Games is out, and I haven't seen it yet, but all my sisters have, and they loved it. And they had some misgivings about the first one. They, they kind of we we felt very similar similarly about the first one. Some of the things it missed out on, or, or you know, kind of sidestepped. But uh, they really were impressed by the second one. My youngest, who is uh, going on ten, I don't know. In in a moment of weak parenting, I guess I watched the first one with her. Um, it really wasn't that bad. They don't show too much in Hunger Games. I mean, the violence is evident, but they really don't show too much. Yeah. yeah. So she was okay with it. And now she's begging to see the second one in the movies. And I, I'm going to have to get some kind of, uh, when one of you guys has seen it, I'll have to get the, uh, what am I looking for? The rating? No, the, uh, yeah, an idea of how it would be for a kid. Yeah. The parental guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, it's funny, I haven't seen it. I probably won't get to the theater and see it, but there's several people I work with that are pretty big fans and have all seen it. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, that I trust their opinion. I'll, uh, I'll ask around. Yeah. And it's really not even, uh, I'm just more, like, I know she's, I talk her through enough that, I, I know she's not gonna go to school and like, you know, try to kill any of her friends. It's not, it's not the, it's not that. I worry more about her getting like nervous in the theater if it's too intense or right, right. whatever, which, um, I, going off the first one, I don't think it'll be a problem, but I'm not allowed to go see it unless I bring her. So I'll have to get uh, an idea beforehand. Gotcha. I, uh, I picked up the Man of Steel uh, 3D Blu-ray set, the the one with the tin and the stand and all the limited edition, yada, yada. Um, but one of the things it has on there is, and Snyder usually does this for all of his, and Warner's big on this, the, the, they typically call it the maximum movie mode, where normally as you're watching it, um, like Snyder or the you know whoever's directing will kind of walk out of the, you know, of the screen and and give a little insight as to what's going on. Sometimes they pause the movie or they'll rewind real quick or whatever. And usually it's done through like seamless branching. It's it's on the main feature. Um but they did that for Man of Steel and it's actually on a bonus disc. It's not on the main feature. And it's funny because you see very little of the actual movie. Usually it's the other way around. You see most of the movie and then you kinda get these little duck in, duck out moments. This is more like the movie ducks in and ducks out. Um, and it's a lot of still kind of that maximum movie mode feel where the actors and the director will come out kind of, you know, on while things are going on and they'll talk about 
how they did things. There's a lot of really cool um, previs while you're watching the movie. So they'll have they'll they'll kind of shrink it out, and you'll see the movie going on in one you know one window, and then you'll see like the previs stuff going on the other window, or they'll show the storyboard stuff going in the live action. So it's really kind of cool to see that progression of how they're doing it, or you know they show the green screen and whatnot. Um, but it's it's really it, it's really I mean regardless of what you think about you, the movie as a whole. I, like we talked about, I'm kind of a film nerd, so it's, it's really cool to me to just see a lot of the behind the scenes and get the stories and, you know, reasoning and motivation and all that kind of stuff by, you know, for, for why they did or didn't do certain things. So that it was kind of cool to, to watch that. Very good. I think that's it for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. I'm all BS'd out myself. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening to Really BS episode four, our show for December. Uh, holidays are upon us soon, and the end of the year is is nigh, as they say. I can't believe 2013 is almost done, um, but we'll probably be back on 2014 with hopefully some cool end of year stuff, beginning of year stuff um, coming up. You can check out all the shows that we do on the HHW LOD Podcast Network, uh, including. Real Heroes, uh, Long Box of Doom, Half Hour Wasted, The Ichabod Crane Cast, Real Heroes, um, The Black Box, Sean Pryor's uh, podcast, and tons, tons more. So again, check out hhwlod.com for all of that. If you want to leave a voicemail to give your opinion on or share with us some BS that you have, uh, you could do so at 972-798-3830. That's the general HHWLOD podcast network uh, voicemail line. Just let us know what show you're leaving a voicemail for, and we will be happy to play that on a future episode. Um, if you want to send us an email, send us an, you can do so at reallybs at hhwlod.com, and we'll be happy to read that on the air as well and respond accordingly. Um, you can check out Facebook. for um, We have Facebook groups for all of, of the podcasts on the network. Um, if you just do a search on Really BS or search on Real Heroes or Shield Podcast, uh, you'll find all of that. So... Until next month when we have more BS, thanks for listening. Good night. Good night, everybody. Have a good week, everybody.